It's good to have Alex here, isn't it? He was such a blessing to us in Baltimore. Uh, keep them coming, these young Hungarian. Older Hungarians can come too. But uh, we just really, in Baltimore, our vision is, is that we would see young men and women be trained up for the ministry. To get engaged with God's calling in their life. And to take steps of faith. Because missions is God's language. The theme of the conference is to he who believes, to him who believeth he is precious. First Peter chapter 2 verse 7. And it says this, Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Thank you. I just want to mention three things tonight. Number one, it's God who sanctifies us. Number two, Jesus in you, Christ in you, is greater than the flesh, the world, and the satanic atmosphere. And number three, how we overcome evil, evil that's around us, and then evil in this world. First of all, it is God who sanctifies. I think that it's very easy for us to forget the totality of God's finished work. That it's God who is the God of our salvation in Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. It is the, he is the God of our salvation. When we consider the concept of holiness or sanctification, when we consider the anointing, there is a word in the Hebrew that very often comes to light, and that's Kadesh. Or Kadesh. And it's just amazing. I'm amazed at how easy that to miss the value and the beauty of this word. That when we think of sanctification, we, in, if we are not quickened in our hearts and in our minds, we start, we start thinking, I need to change my behavior 
hogy valahogyan nekem kell megváltoztatnom a viselkedésem. I need to do a better job. Hogy nekem jobban kell teljesítenem. I am not what I should be. Nem az vagyok, aki lennem. And we start thinking like this, don't we? Because every one of us in this room tonight, young and old, if we are not quickened in the spirit of our mind in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23, you and I are going to perceive our lives and we're going to perceive the plan of God outside of faith. It's so beautiful in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 19, when Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now why is Sinai so important to Moses? When we think of Mount Sinai, we think of what we read in the latter part of Exodus chapter 19. But before Sinai became this very scary and fiery mountain, it was a very intimate place of meeting for Moses. Because many years earlier, Moses is in the desert. He is kicked out of his own country. He cannot come back. And he is a man that is wandering in the desert. And he's disconnected from his calling from God. Think of the disorientation and the confusion in Moses' mind. And within the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, Moses meets God. Moses sees the burning bush. And God speaks to Moses. Moses is not speaking to God. God speaks to Moses. And where is this bush? It's right there at Mount Sinai. It's right there. Sinai for Moses was such a beautiful place of intimacy and meeting with God. This is where he got his calling. He was renewed in his calling. Moses goes back to Egypt, meets Pharaoh, leads two million people out of Egypt into the desert. They are, they are, they are moving across the desert for a few weeks. And Moses is taking them to Sinai because he, because he wants his people to meet God. He wants them to hear from God just as he heard from God. And this is what we do with people. We bring them to our places where we met God. But there's a problem in Exodus 19. If you read this carefully, 
Before the law is given, there's a very different conversation going on with God and Moses and Israel. God is saying to Israel, I bore you up on eagles' wings and I carried you. And there's verse after verse about the precious intimacy that they had, that God had with them because of God's faithfulness. And how does Israel respond? They had no capacity yet for intimacy with God. They just were unaware. They were just not there yet. And what was their response to all of the great works of God in their, in their lives? What did they say? Remember what they said? You're, you're nodding your head. I know, I know you know this. We will do all that God commands. <laughs> Wrong answer. What did God say? He said, if you, if you, in English, I don't know how it is in Hungarian, but it's just kind of weird in English. It says, if you obey my voice, it's not a really good translation. It says, if you guard my voice, what I said, if you guard it, how many of you have loved ones that have passed on? Of course, we don't talk to them. But we can remember their voice. I remember my mom's voice. How she said my name. I can remember that. And I can hear the voice. I can hear that. We, and it's something that we guard, isn't it? For many years later, we, we guard that voice. This is the word that's being used there. Guard my voice. And he says, and if you keep my covenant... What does that mean? Again, if we're not renewed in the spirit of our minds, this is what we hear. I gotta do all his commandment, what I'm supposed to do for God, my covenant to God. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you if you keep my covenant, if you remember that I am the initiator of the covenant with you, Israel. I am the maintainer of that covenant. And I am the completer of that covenant. I am the Alpha and the Omega of the covenant. This is what God wanted Israel to remember and to keep in the center of their heart. But Israel said, no, we will do. They had no capacity for grace. No capacity for intimacy with God. And for them it was all about performance. We live in a very performance-oriented society, don't we? Cain was a performer. And he was rejected. 
God was saying at Mount Sinai that I want to have intimacy with you, Israel. What happened? That mountain changed. Israel rejected grace and said, we will do. Because I got to do something. I'm too nervous just to be quiet. I got to do something. The flesh loves doing something. And an insecure person really holds on to the things that he does. And then we can bring that into our Christianity. And we miss that intimacy with God. I really believe with you, I know we all believe this, that God wants to speak to us this week. God wants to answer things that are happening in our life today. I like what Pastor Kende said at the beginning of the, the meeting tonight. I think it's so good when we take a notebook, write down our questions to God, write down our prayer requests, write down our problems at the beginning of the conference, and say, God, I'm not leaving here until I get some answers. If you're a teen tonight, God wants to speak to you. If you're a nine-year-old here tonight, any nine-year-olds, God wants to speak to you. If you're an older person, and I don't know what that means, older, I don't know what that means, but God wants to speak to you. Sanctification is not based on what I'm doing for God tonight. But it's what God has done for us. It's the first point I want to make. It's very interesting to notice in the Old Testament four or five things that were sacred. And I'm going to name them to you and I want you to be thinking about these things. And I want you to relate them. Think about why are they sacred. Exodus 31 verse 13. 31:13. The Sabbath was sacred. Why was the Sabbath sacred? Because God rested there. It was sacred because God was resting there. God was in the midst of the Sabbath resting. And that's what made the Sabbath sacred. The Sabbath is not sacred because we're, because we're not doing something or that we're doing something. But it's because God is resting in the midst of the Sabbath. Number two, the mountain of the Lord was to be called holy because he would dwell there in Zechariah 8, verse 3. The Mount Sion 
which is different than Sinai. That after God, after the Israelites said, we will do and we will do all that God tells us to do. That mountain became a mountain on fire, burning with fire. Imagine that scene with me tonight. You are in a desert kind of a wilderness. And there's a large hill there, so there's a mountain there. And it's 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 on fire. It's like a it's like a forest fire and there is smoke. It is so smoky that you can't even see the mountain, what's on the mountain. I imagine that it's similar a little bit to the way it is in Hungary sometimes when you drive down the road and there are these fields that are on fire. It's smoky and you can't see. And, and there was no way to draw near to God there. But the mountain of God, Mount Zion, was holy wide in Zechariah 8 verse 3. It was sacred wide. Why was it sanctified? Because God dwelt there. Are you starting to see the pattern? Number three, Exodus 26 verse 8. Exodus 26, verse 8. It says this, that the, set, the tabernacle would be sacred. Why? Because God would dwell with His people there. It was sacred because God was dwelling there. And Numbers chapter 3, verse 13. The, for the firstborn were sacred to God. And number five, even the censers in which sinful men offered incense to God became sacred. Sinners would come and offer the incense. Come in, and those 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 censor those those censors would become sacred. In Numbers chapter eighteen verse thirty-eight. So what am I saying here? That something became sacred not because of something that was done. But in the Exodus chapter 30, verse 26, something would be sake, become sacred when it came into contact with God. Get it? Something, sin, something that was not set apart brought into the tabernacle would become sacred and set apart. We are sanctified and set apart because Christ came into our life and God dwells with us. In John chapter 1, 
I think we could come to a conference like this and think about all the things that are not right in my life. What I did yesterday, the argument that I got into, or my failure, or I'm unworthy, or I'm not enough. And we can get into this mood, like Pastor Kende would say, we can become depressed. But just coming into the conference, coming into the midst of the body here, is so sanctifying and cleansing, isn't it? Just that, and that is a that is a philosophy that we should have in our life that should never that we should never neglect to draw near to the body of Christ. Because it's at the tabernacle, it's in the presence of where God is. That things become sacred. Number two. So Jesus Christ is a picture of the tabernacle that dwelt among men, of tabernacle of God. Here's Jesus moving around among men. He confronted and he challenged people's concepts of God. I was thinking, we preached about this in Texas, that it's so amazing that uh, we can talk about this at a wrap, but John the Baptist began to doubt who Jesus was. He entered into one of two forms of doubt. Because his concept of Christ was different than what he was seeing Christ do. And John and John the Baptist thought, I thought it would be a little bit different. And he sends his disciples to ask him, Are you the one? So interesting. We can talk about that another time, but just such an interesting. That Jesus challenged everyone's concepts. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, classic situation. This is the second point I want to make tonight. First one is that God sanctifies. The second one is that Jesus is greater than kakos, or great, Jesus is greater than evil. A leper comes to Jesus. Imagine the scene. Leprosy is just a, it's a terrible, fatal disease. And we know that leprosy was not only a physical uncleanness, but it was also a religious ceremonial uncleanness as well. And he comes to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Beautiful words. There is something that that leper knew about Jesus Christ. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And I think he meant two things there. He said, you can make me clean not only physically, but spiritually. 
And you know what it says in verse 41? Then Jesus moved with compassion. Oh, that's just such an awesome thought tonight. Just park there for a minute. The compassion of God is so beautiful. The compassion of God. Think of the compassion of God on mankind tonight. Adam and Eve. The first human, first the beginning of mankind. And they fail miserably. Satan comes to the woman. And I, I think that Satan, this is going to sound funny, but I think Satan hates women more than anything. Because he targets women. He wants to destroy women. And I'm not talking here about... I'm not a, you know, I'm not a feminist or whatever you call it. The worst, you know, some of the most violent and demonic religions of the world destroy the, 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 the God-given image of a woman. And here is Eve, and she, and she's deceived, and she seduces her husband into deception. And God comes into the scene. And what does he say? And this is, if you're reading Genesis for the first time, you're seeing God for the first time interact with human beings. In, a, in an amplified way. God comes in and he says, Adam, where are you? so beautiful when we fail and we are in our bushes <laughs> we have our bushes don't we we have our fig leaves we're just hiding out there we're in fear God comes into the scene in human history not from a position of power and destruction but he comes in with humility and he makes this brilliant statement theologically he says in essence he says I know where I am but you are lost we see the seeking savior of God we see God the seeking savior Jesus moved with compassion. I think when we fail and we are in cycles of sin, God looks at us not with eyes of judgment and anger and evil thoughts. He looks at us with great compassion as a parent would look at their child who is lost in their own devices and he's moved with compassion he's moved with compassion tonight for the drug for the drug drug problem he's moved with compassion with the problem with rebellion he's moved with compassion and he's moved and he comes to the leper stretches out his hands he doesn't just come over like this, you know. But it's a, it is a intentional, visible action. 
reaches out and he does the thing that the law says you cannot do and he touches the leper remember what the first point we said was that something was sacred and set apart because of the dwelling and contact with God Jesus who is God comes over and he just touches the leper do you, someone, do you ever have someone put their hand on your shoulder or shake your hand or even just, I don't know. And you just know, you can tell that this is, you can tell the language of that contact of compassion. And this leper was touched by Jesus Christ. See, the law says you can't touch a leper because the law gives you no power to heal that leper. But Jesus, who is the fulfiller of the law, comes in and is greater than the leprosy, greater than the sin, greater than the addiction, greater than the problem, the marital problem, greater than the family situation. And he comes in and he touches touches the man. And he says this. I am willing. I'm willing. And that Greek word there, willing, is so intimately related to that word in Greek, I want to. I'm willing. I'm willing. Hey, I'm with you. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm dwelling among you. I am willing, leper. Mr. Leper, I am willing. And he touches him. I am willing. And he says, be cleansed. Be cleansed. When we understand sanctification, that we are in Christ tonight, and nothing can separate us from that love in Romans chapter 8. We are in Christ we are justified, we are glorified, we are loved, we are in Him tonight. Paul said to the Ephesians, over and over and over and over, a church that was all about knowledge, and he said, you're in Christ. You're not in your problem, you're not in your doubts, you're not in your moods, you're not in your financial situation. In me. You're in me. You're in Christ. And Jesus said to the leper, I'm willing. I'm willing. Be thou cleansed. And from that moment, immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. And I love this. He goes, Don't tell anybody. No, don't tell anybody about this. If I was Jesus' PR man, if I was handling his advertising department, if I was handling his social media accounts, if I was handling Jesus' Facebook page, I would say, let's take pictures of this, let's record this, let's get a video, let's post it. And Jesus said, no, I don't want this to happen. Go see the priest. Go see the priest. The point here, number two, I'm making is that what is inside of you and I is greater 
than sin. It's greater than conflict. It's greater than disagreements. It's greater than the devil. It's Christ, because we are seated with him in heavenly places. Lastly, the last point is how do we overcome evil? Pastor Schaller was sharing with me that his theme in Finland was agape love. Something that he was discussing as well in convention. How do we overcome on a practical level kakos, which is this intrinsic evil of the world's nature? I want to close with this verse in, Romans, in John chapter 8, verse 6. Think about God, moved with compassion, comes into the garden, and rescues Adam and Eve. God moved with compassion speaks to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Jesus moved with compassion heals the leper. Then in John chapter 8 verse 6 we know the story. A woman caught in the very act of adultery very act she's dragged out into the square the Pharisees show up what a horrible scene terrible scene and this woman was going to be stoned she was going to be stoned on the spot and we know in some countries that still happens so Jesus comes in John chapter 8 verse 6 notice this with me never saw this before until the last couple of days what does it say here? Jesus stoops down. He stoops down. He stoops down. He gets down like this. So here's everyone, right? The woman, all these, all these powerful religious people manipulating religion, manipulating the law. And Jesus stoops down. He just gets really low. Drawing in the sand. And we know what that means, right? Jesus drawing the sand with his finger. It's the finger of God pointing to things in the human mind and writing the law. And that's why he said, then he stands up and he says, He who is without sin casts the first stone. And then what does he do? He bends down again. And, he's just, and, and that may not have even been proper to do that in that situation. The point is this. How do we overcome evil? God bows down. He bends down. He gets very low. He humbles himself at a cross. When Jesus dealt with the sin of this woman, he got down very low to, to a point of non-threatening position where he could see her eye to eye. I don't, I don't have children, but maybe someday I will. I'd like to. 
Well, I heard recently that when you ask a child, I think all the moms and dads here would probably know this already, but this is just a new thing for me. And when a child has something that it doesn't want to surrender, you have to get down right on their level, right? And put your hand out and say, Can you please give me that? Right? And I guess the idea is if you get down to the child's level, the child is not threatened by being in the wrong. The child sees you at their level. God, when he enters into the history of man, to deal with the sin of man, through Jesus Christ, bows down. When we deal with people in very complicated situations, maybe co-workers, maybe co-laborers, maybe intimate relationships in our marriage, when we deal with situations, it's good to have that bend-down attitude. But we are not controlling the situation. Because this is agape love. This is what makes Jesus precious to us, isn't it? Because when we had our, when we had our issues and we had our arguments, He bowed down. And He humbled Himself. And He became one of us. And that is sanctification tonight. Sanctification means that Jesus did it all. And this is not a sanctification. This is not the type of sanctification that pushes the human will into good works. We must be careful of Calvinism and Lordship teaching. Because any teaching that says that grace violates the human will to produce some kind of fruit is not grace. It's grace plus nothing. It's grace plus zero. And that's what Satan hates. That God gives freely grace to us tonight. We may walk out that door, leave the conference, and there may never ever be a change in our life. Hopefully there is, but maybe there isn't. That does not change the measure of God's grace to us tonight. Because it's freely given. It's, it's, it's great grace. And this is the great grace that changes lives today. And if, there's, if there's something that God wants to deal with in our life, He brings in His presence, His Word. And there is such a sanctification that happens. Because Jesus stoops down. And he, and he speaks to us. And with that attitude, we can resolve so many things. 
Next time I speak, I want to just talk about this subject more. About how God doesn't come into human history and grab a hold of things and change things and manipulate things. But He comes in and He walks with us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good tonight? So precious to us. And that is so. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And I'm just a visitor. I'm just a guest. One of several guests that will be speaking at this conference. But I just want to... I just want to give you this opportunity. That... Big part of the battle of in our life is that we feel in some way that we have to modify our behavior. We can come to God and say, "If you're willing, you can make me clean." And Jesus will say, "I am willing." It is written. I am willing. I can heal you from this leprosy, spiritual leprosy. And I think we can just bring it right to God in Hebrews 4, verse 16. The throne of grace in the time of peace. You can say, God, I can't perform. I am at, I am at the zero level and I come to you and he will give us the will and desire just knowing that he's present with us and that he has compassion on us tonight I think it could be very easy that we're parents and that we can feel so unworthy like I'm such a bad parent it's not God's mind it's not God's mind. He has compassion on that tonight. Maybe we could be a wife tonight. And say, I don't, I don't do the, I, I, I don't fulfill the role of a wife so well. But what standard are we using to judge ourselves? Put away the standards and look at Jesus. Because the main problem with the Galatian church was that they that they turned away from Christ. So Lord, we, we praise you tonight. You had compassion on us. With all our knowledge and all our information about you. And we still are we're still sometimes such sinners. And Lord, we just pray tonight you would transform us during this conference. Heal us. Put callings on young people's lives for missions. We thank you for our sister from Oman tonight. We thank you for what these Hungarian churches are doing in this part of, of Europe. It's amazing. We thank you, God, for that. That's such a beautiful thing. 
then of course the devil's going to attack that, but greater is he that is in us. Praise you, worship Bless your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.